This is episode number 13 of the Ask the Church Collective podcast. In this episode, myself, Fox Watterson, and Chris Bellamy answer a question about how to really elicit participation from the congregation and how to build the team. We also talk a little bit about uh, how do you know when a song should be retired or when you should bring a song into your set or just really like general repertoire conversations. Um, So we're going to jump right in with episode number 13 of the Ask the Church Collective podcast. All right, we have a question here come in. says, uh, I love to worship and getting people to worship. I recently moved to a small town, uh, but it's very old school, and I just started helping at a new church here. Um, I can sing and play a little guitar, but there's no one else at the church who can sing or play instruments. And then they're asking us, what songs can I use to get them to participate in worship and get this church going? So there's there's a lot of layers to that. Um, and, and let's just kind of, without being able to have a conversation with this person, um, I, I think... Uh, let's just kind of tackle, it says, what songs can I use to get them to participate in worship? Let's let's maybe say, let, let's go from the place where they don't have any instruments, they don't have anyone else that can play in their church. How how would you go about starting a new worship ministry? Just at some, This is a new church too, so we're just at a brand new church. You need to get musicians on board. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on how to, how to gather them up? I would say the first thing you need to do is talk to the the members and and just kind of gauge what kind of style would uh, speak to them. You know, is it an older crowd or is it uh, you know is it a predominantly college um, group of people? Sure. And just figure out you know what what um, what kind of songs you you want to pick from because if it's if it's an older crowd and they're expecting super traditional then you want you might want to um learn you know the the standard hymns and be able to play that on acoustic guitar but if it's if it's a college um you know startup then there would be a completely different um set of songs although i think um college students these days actually appreciate hymns um too but sure. maybe like go towards more towards the citizens king's kaleidoscope type of things if they're if it's a younger crowd um if it's kind of in the middle then i would just look at what's popular um been popular in the church you know and play things like Ten Thousand reasons um this is amazing grace you know the 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 classics and see how that resonates with them and see if maybe they're listening to the radio a lot and they would already know those songs and be able to participate, you know? Mm-hmm. That's good. I think defining what your culture is, is a huge step. Um, Cause you don't want to go in thinking that you're going to do all this modern, awesome, young and free stuff. But that's super not what the culture of the church is. So being able to define that first and figuring that out, it's probably a conversation with your, with your lead pastor. Uh, if it's a small church, just starting up, it's going to be his vision only. Um, so you're just going to have to roll with that. And then from there, get your repertoire going. What songs fit into that culture? What songs do you know already uh, that fit into that, that vision, that fit into that culture uh, and start cultivating like a, like a bucket of, or repertoire of, of, of songs that you can do. Uh, some you might already know, some you might have to learn um, and then go from there. And once that, once that is established, then you can, um, start to build a team based upon the needs and wants of, of the pastor and the congregation. Sure. 
Could you guys talk, talk a little bit maybe towards like I get, you know, m most of the language in this question sounds like it's very new, very like just beginning as a church. Like maybe talk to how do you establish what you're supposed to be? Um, is it just purely demographics? Is it talking to people? You guys maybe want to vamp on that a little bit. I think like what Fox said, you know, first off, you have to talk to the pastor and see his vision because, um, you know, you don't obviously, especially in something that small, you don't want to be going the opposite direction of the pastor. It's going to, you know, basically implode. Sure. But after talking to him, um, seeing what his vision is, um, then start talking to the congregation, just getting to know them, seeing what they listen to, um, you know, because you never know what what style people really prefer until you start talking to them, you know, without having years of experience with a congregation. Um, that's the only way you're going to find out. Yeah, I think that that's, that's exactly right. You're going to have to figure that out. <clears throat> um, if it's a new startup church, that lead pastor is going to be the one you're going to want to talk to. It's it's his church. It's his vision. He's gonna. He's gonna have a better grasp on the culture of the church than uh, than you will just coming in or someone who's actually in the audience. Um, they they'll have their own opinion of what they want, but ultimately that lead pastor is gonna have the most accurate. Uh, I forget the word I'm looking for. He's gonna have the most accurate understanding of what the culture of the church is and what the culture of the church is he's going to want it to be in a year's time and five years time and to build from that so that person's going to be your main go-to to figure out who we are as a church what we want to be as a church and how we're going to best serve the people of our church sure what what would you guys say towards like what makes a song participatory maybe not like by purely saying well these songs are participatory these songs are not like what what are those core things um that this person should be looking for in their song selection that would be like oh yeah these are participatory songs i would say you know songs that are popular in a lot of churches are popular for a reason hmm. um and so you know you can kind of start with that um but you know, being theologically correct can make a song, you know, kind of make or break whether a song um, facil facilitates participation. Sure. Um, definitely, if you're if you're playing acoustic um, and you're the you're the only worship leader, you know, make sure you're playing in a key that's singable to um, the congregation, especially the men. Because a lot of times we we choose songs that are that are either too low or too too high for the men to sing. Right. Um. um and I think also it it's, it it kind of relies on the worship leader himself or herself whether or not they they promote participation. You know, sure. um, their spirit. You know, how much are they worshiping? How much are they engaging? Um. Do they know the congregation at all, or are they just, you know, the the congregation doesn't know them, and and they're stepping in front of them, and and that's the only time they have any kind of interaction with them. Um, I definitely think facilitating a relationship with your members, especially in something that small, would make or break um, whether 
whether they respond to you, you know, whether they trust you, whether they're going to go with you or just kind of stare at you. Sure. Yeah. Now, I would say to grow your ministry or your team, the first thing I would look for, if, if you're playing acoustic and you're singing, the first thing I would look for is um, finding a keyboard player that could lay down some pads. Um, I definitely wouldn't look for a drummer or, you know, something along that lines yeah. until, you know, you have some, some more basic instruments. Um, and if you can't find anybody, like the, the, the original person said um, there was no other musicians in the church, then I would look at other options like um, the downloadable pads that you can put on your, your iPhone or your iPad and just kind of have a layer of pads behind you, you know, that will, that will thicken things up. Um, or even maybe going to um, an app like Playback from Multitracks yeah. um, and, you know, being able to fill in the instruments you don't have. I've, I've actually seen, <laughs> seen worship leaders that go up there by themselves but use the Multitrack, and it, it actually, you know, depending on how, how energetic they are and how, how much they, they um, interact with the congregation, you know, it, it can, can actually be pretty successful. Right. And then, you know, once you f- start finding musicians, then you can kind of, you know, go along and mute whatever you have and leave in what you don't have until you start having more of a, more of a team. Mm-hmm. That was, definitely. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say that one, the, the careful thing with that would be, you know, it could get real spendy to, to build up enough multi-tracks for your whole thing. So you want to make sure, like, if you're purchasing them, if you're at a, if this is a smaller church, if it's just starting, I'm going to assume there's not a huge budget for, you know, multi-tracks. You might want to be real intentional about the ones that you actually grab the tracks for, uh, have, having them be songs that you know you're going to do um, a lot. Yeah, I think that another thing to, to remember is that regardless of what you might think, it's not cheating to use multi-tracks. Sure. <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not taking away the value of something if you're using multi-tracks. Uh, if you don't have a piano player and you use a multi-track for piano player, that's cool. You're not, you're not cheating. You're not, you're not, uh, losing any street cred by filling in a space where you're lacking. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that <clears throat> from experience, I've seen people talk about how, using multi-tracks is cheating and it's not authentic and it's not real, but you, you can't think that way. It's a tool that's designed to help your ministry where you don't have someone. It's, de- it's designed to help you uh, to bring all that you can possibly bring when you may not have all the people you can possibly have on stage on the platform. Sure. So don't think of it as, as, uh, as a sucker's way of leading worship. That's not, that's not it at all. It's, it's, it's a tool and please use it. Yeah. I've actually been to a, an outreach service, um, many years ago before they had multi-tracks. And when I went in there, they were literally playing the, um, the radio track, <laughs> you know, like they just put the song on and, the worship leader would just sing over top of it. And I was shocked at how much the, the congregation, it was small. It was probably like 30 people. It was just a little, you know, outreach. And, but everybody was singing so loud that it actually covered up the track. Sure. Um, and I was, I was completely shocked, completely floored that, that 
people were able to get past that and not even, you know, that wasn't a hindrance at all. And they were just in worship, you know. Right. And and if you would have asked me before I actually witnessed that, I would have think, you know, that was ridiculous. And um, but, you know, seeing it and and where people's hearts are and, you know, it doesn't really matter um, what leads them into worship, you know, as long as they're being led into worship. Sure. And I think yeah. that, that, that brings back around to, it really seems like a theme that, um, at least on the podcast and a lot of the content too, um, on the site, there, there's just this general sense, um, among at least the people I'm talking to, the worship leaders, the community that I'm involved in, there's, it just seems like, um, the further we're getting into this, the more, uh, important everybody's finally starting to realize that, uh, our relationship with Christ is so, so much more valuable than, uh, any slick transition or specific song or, you know, carefully crafted set, not to say any of that's not important. Um, but I think really having it come out of a place where you are genuinely worshiping God throughout the week, um, it, it's going to make your job so much more easy. Yeah, it's true. As long as you're going up there and you have a genuine heart of worship, and your primary focus is on is on Christ and leading your people to Him, then it's not going to matter if you don't like a song. It's not going to matter if you love the transition or you started with the capo on the wrong fret. None of that matters as long as you go up there and you play and you do your thing to the best of your ability and lead your people to the throne. Yeah, I remember um, maybe four or five years ago, my church was at a retreat and uh, there was a, a big storm and we were doing worship. It was a worship set and we had brought all our equipment and dragged it over there and we even brought like a drum shield and we had the whole thing set up and we got through probably the first song and the power went out. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh man, what are we going to do? You know, and there was, there was a couple hundred people that had came from our church and and the our, our worship leader they you know always tell my worship team like no matter what happens just keep singing you don't care if you know if there's a fire keep singing and so they just kept singing and our congregation responded because it's it's all of a sudden it they felt like a need to to participate more and it ended up being the the most special um time of worship because they they went from kind of singing to i mean just completely singing their hearts out and and we ended up doing a full set of five songs and and the, the only instrument we had was an electric guitar like the the actual ring of the strings to hear the key you know mm-hmm. but um other than that there was no instruments and i was just shocked that um it turned into that, you know, it's it pretty, it's pretty awesome. That's neat. That's awesome. I, I got, um, I, as we're talking about like how, you know, heart it, being in the right place is so much more important. Um, for those listeners here that were at our Fort Wayne conference just a couple of weeks ago, um, I was leading one of the worship sets, um, during the morning sessions and we got up there and, uh, the drummer and I got our wires crossed on what song was supposed to be next. So I think we were moving into, um, I was moving into Cornerstone in the key of C, and he was moving into No Longer Slaves uh, with the track behind it in the key of A flat. 
And so the click starts and um, we're beginning the song and I hear that click and I feel like it probably something wasn't right. This wasn't Cornerstone and I started Cornerstone anyway. Um, so I'm playing a C over a track that's coming in an A flat and, um, you know, mortified, of course, but uh, I took the took my capo off the fifth fret, I think, at that point, and then kind of just, I realized I made the mistake um, and, and moved into No Longer Slaves, and then just kind of proceeded to do the whole song. We didn't stop the track or anything. I just kind of moved into where we were supposed to be. Um, and so I was teaching a breakout session after that, and one of the comments was how uh, how I handled that. They thought it was really, like, neat that I didn't, like, lose my cool on it. Um, and, and kind of like in a, in a joking way, I said, well, it's really because I've lost all sense of shame because I've made so many mistakes on the platform anyway. And we kind of laughed about it, but like digging deeper into it, it kind of, it came down to at the end of the day, um, because I've made so many mistakes, because I've led worship, because I know that, you know, my execution of a worship set doesn't, um, really have that much of a bearing on whether or not God's going to move in the set. Um, there's a sense of freedom because I knew the right reasons to be there. I knew that didn't destroy, you know, my entire set. I knew that we could just keep moving on. And so I tried to really help my breakout group understand, like, the closer you can get with God with it, the more you can kind of lay yourself out there. And honestly, like, the more the more you can embarrass yourself, the more times we fall on our face, it gets a little less painful every time because we realize we're just people. And I, I'm of the of the persuasion that I think our congregation tends to like it when we make a mistake, not because they, you know, point and laugh at us, but just to see that we're just people and they're not coming to a slick show that's just perfectly executed. I think sometimes those mistakes are some of the stronger points in a, in the body of a church. Yeah. I always tell my volunteers that they're going to make a mistake to make it loud. One, because I'm going to tease them about it and it's funny. <laughs> Two, they'll be embarrassed about it because I'm teasing them about it. And three, they'll never do it again. Sure. So if you're going to screw up, man, make it big. If you make a scene, make it big. And it's, it's okay. I think Ryan, Ryan was right. I think that our congregations tend to enjoy the times when we flub up. Uh, Cause it's just funny. <laughs> it's, it's authentic. It's not, we're not perfect. No one's going to be insulted and leave the church. If you sing the wrong word. Okay. No one's going to be insulted or leave the church. If you start the key in a flat and not C because you're not with your drummer, that that's fine. Uh, those mistakes are fun, and it's uh, it's okay to make them. I'm not encouraging you to make them. Please play with excellence. However, if they happen, it's not the end of the world. Sure. You want to jump in, Fox? Um, kind of similar to songs and like planning and all that. So jump in on your your thought you've been having. Yeah. Uh, how old is too old for a song? And I'm not talking like like a hymn. And I'm not talking age and when it was written, but Suppose you you're doing a song this weekend. It's on your it's on your plan, and you have not done that song for twelve months. Hmm. Is it worth bringing that song back? Are you ever are you going to play it again soon, or are you going to wait another twelve months to bring it back? And if so, if you're going to wait, why? To what purpose are you are you bringing this song back? To what end is this song coming out of mothballs? Uh, to, to, to like, what are you trying to do with it? I, I don't, I don't understand how, and I've seen this before at, at a couple of churches that we just pull back songs from being a year old mm-hmm. from the last time that we performed it. Not, la- not a year old from when it was written or, or come out, but a, la- a year old from when we last performed it. Why? Sure. What, what's, what, what's the point behind bringing that old song back again? 
you know, jump in first, Chris? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty quick to, to retire a song if it's not, if it's not resonating with the congregation, like sure. I'll give them about a month, maybe two months. And after the third or fourth time, I can kind of tell like, uh, I don't think this is really, you know, connecting with them and it's fine. Like I'll, I'll put it on the shelf, um, or even just delete it. Um, but at the same time, there's, there's a couple songs, um, that no matter when we play it and how long, how old it is, one of them being, um, shout to the Lord. Mm. It's funny. Like I'll bring that out like once a year and our congregation, um, just absolutely eats it up. And I think it's because when our, when our church was first starting out, um, and, and still kind of in like a, a small house that we had bought, uh, that was like the song that, that, um, resonated with everybody and it kind of pushed our church into I don't know dare I say the modern worship age you know because prior to that it was is more um like the old school like 70s and those those kind of I don't know what I had to describe them those clappy type songs and you know um and in a in a combination of hymns so so that song was special and so when I when we bring it out, I you know, and I don't do it too much, but I'll bring it about every once in a while. And and man, we could literally just start the song for a couple bars in the, the congregation. We could walk off the stage, and the congregation would would keep singing it. Sure. Uh, so I'll do that, and and if I do, I'll sometimes I'll actually do like a kind of a throwback um, entire worship set, and and just kind of do a lot of old older classics. From you know the the early two thousands, mm. um, what's the one with uh, Michael W. Smith, um, Prince of Peace? You are holy. Yeah, you know that song. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, it seems super cheesy, but if you pair it together with the right songs and 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 do it, and you can actually and you can like make it more modern to play it in a style that's um, more relevant, but just bringing back those for service. Um, it's it just really gets people into it. Sure. And but you got to be careful. You, you know, you can't do that all the time. It has to be like I said. Like I'll do it maybe once a year or something. You know. Right. So how um, do you, how do you know? I guess you know that because you've been at your church for a long time. You know which ones are those classics that you can bust out and throw down. Um, I guess what what separates that from the the classic that doesn't work? Uh, that just comes with, like you said, you know, being at a, at a the same church for a long time and knowing your congregation and sure. and knowing what what they respond to um like um like the song 10,000 reasons is starting to get pretty old but our congregation still responds to it um and so I'll throw it in there every once in a while um sometimes we'll just kind of play it at the very end of a set and not even really play it, just just kind of start it off and let the congregation sing to it, and, and just maybe hold some pads behind it. But um, you know, I, it's when you know your congregation and you have a relationship with them, you can tell what they respond to. Um, and, and in general, if you could start a song and just walk away, and they sing the whole thing, you know, at the top of their lungs, then it's probably still a valid song. You know, sure. I just I do. 
I realized that there is some, some nostalgia with some of these songs. Sure. Um, some people um, correlate a, a certain era of songs when they got saved to be, you know, that's their jams because it, it, it reminds them of when they first got saved. It reminds them when they were like super on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's not necessarily the song, but it's the it's the nostalgia behind the song right. that comes to them. Um, and you got to be super careful. You know, you don't want a church based on nostalgia that's constantly looking back and um, not moving forward uh, because then you start kind of facilitate, facilitating a consumer mentality with your church. Um, but yeah, I think there's nothing wrong with, you know, once a year bringing back some old, old jams um, or even like, have you guys noticed that Mighty to Save is starting to come back? Sure. Have, it's like I keep hearing it on the radio. There's new versions of it, and I'm like, man. And uh, Hillsong, when during the Outcry tour, they they brought uh, like a new version of it, um, and I was like, man, this is is kind of cool with with the new the new way they're doing it. So that might be a um, an option too. Like you know, so, something's kind of getting revived, but a new way of singing it or a new way of playing it. Um, right. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of with Fox. Like I I don't like living in the past. You know, there's uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm wrong, but I don't really see any passages in in the the Bible that says sing an old song. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe there is, but in most of the the verses that as worship leaders that we kind of go to is always talking about singing a new song. Um, so there's that. That's good. I just, I don't know, man. I, I, I think like for me, it's just, if it's old, man, I'm not, I'm not digging on it. Especially if it's a slow song, like an old slow song, I'm done. I lose interest instantly. Uh, I just can't hang with, Hey, you know what? This was a cool song, uh, 12 years ago. Like yeah. I'm not, I can't. <laughs> and maybe that's just like, like a flaw that I have or, or, uh, maybe You're just too hip, Fox. I, I guess so, man. I just, uh, I just don't. I can't jive on older tunes that are slow. Like I can get down on like some of like the late '90s stuff that's like upbeat. I'm like, yeah, okay, this was cool. This was me when I first started going to church and I first started serving. Like this was what was happening, and that's fun for me. But like some of the old stuff that's slow, I just can't even get into it. Like, and I don't, I don't know if that's just a a thing where, hey, you know what? People like the old stuff that's slow and you're an idiot and nobody cares what you think. <laughs> or if it's just, if like a, like, I, I don't know, man. Maybe it's just a personal quirk that I just can't hang, but. I do remember, um, and I think, I think, Fox, you were with us at Creation Fest West and uh, we were doing a set with Brian Campbell and, you know, we got to the end of the set and the person that was holding the, the cards that said how oh, many minutes yeah. you have left. more minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they kept on adding more time. And Brian Campbell just completely randomly, <laughs> like, just went into a delirious, like, the, the band delirious, like, throwback and just started doing all of their old jams from, from the late 90s, early 2000s. Okay. And, um, <laughs> and, 
and you know Dango was playing drums and you know he knew all those songs and I remember all those songs I didn't know that I remembered them but I remembered them <laughs> and man the the crowd went crazy and I was yeah, so shocked <laughs> I was like man these are some old so you know he did um the when, do you hear the the mountains tremble what is that you know that song yeah, um, yeah. Ha, what's the name of that song I think it's did you feel the mountains tremble did you did you feel yeah something like that <laughs> He went into that and like, man, I was, I mean, I was shocked that how, how much of a response the, the, the crowd gave and, mm. and it, it wasn't even the greatest versions of those songs cause we hadn't practiced them at all. We were just Ever. doing it on the fly. I didn't know but, them. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but, but it was, um, it was funny. And the it rest was. of the time, I mean, people kept coming up like, man, that delirious set you guys did, that was the best. <laughs> and I was like, wow, so much for rehearsing and practicing. You know? Sure. So, so what's the moral of that story then? I guess I guess <laughs> it's okay to bring back some songs in, in certain situations. <laughs> right, to know which ones would work. And again, I think it all comes back to, you know, are you in the right place? And, and really, um, I mean, I guess the, the big thing is if you're discipling and if you're training your congregation in a way to really – understand what worship is it kind of doesn't matter what songs you're doing in the first place and i think fox to answer your question like i know we're at the same church and like sometimes you know i'll take the fall i was like i'm gonna bring back uh freedom is here because i had a ton of fun with that when i was younger um when i used to lead like our college ministries i was like that was like that was a really fun song and it just did not work and we tried it a couple weeks and it just didn't work and it's like okay i'm gonna quietly just like not do this one anymore um, so I think there's a certain amount of like doing an old song because it's old doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be successful. Um, but you will find those ones that resonate and make note of them. And, and this kind of gets into the whole, you know, how many songs should be in your church's repertoire in the first place, which could be a whole other episode, which I think I, I know we've talked about it a few times before. Um, so I'll see if I can link some of those in the show notes for this episode. But um, I think ultimately, the more we can teach our congregation about God and about what he's doing in their lives and um, encouraging them to connect with him on a personal level. Um, the easier our job is as worship leaders because um, the songs and the style and the selection and, and all that becomes second to the fact that we're supposed to just be there worshiping God together. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Ask the Collective. If you have a question, you can go ahead and hit the contact form on the site, give us the question, or come into our Facebook community and ask the question there. You'll get some answers right away, and then some of our contributors can hop on for an episode. And uh, we just hope this is a blessing to you, and can't wait to connect with you. God bless you today.